This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Jeff Cayley from WorldwideCyclery.com explains how he chooses which products goes on which sales channels. On today's episode, you'll learn the step-by-step process this entrepreneur took to test and then launch a six-figure business through Facebook ads. In this episode, you'll learn how to test if the market is passionate before you enter it, what to do when your Facebook ad has high engagement but no sales, and Facebook ads targeting tips to find more passionate customers. Today, I'm joined by Kwaku Nornu from thepassionatepug.com. That's T-H-E-P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A-T-E-P-U-G.com. As you can guess, The Passionate Pug sells awesome pug merchandise, which was started last year in 2016 and based out of Washington, D.C. Welcome, Kwaku. Hey, how you doing, man? Good, good. So tell us a little bit more about the store and what was, like the, the, I guess, the idea behind starting a business like this? Awesome. So um, I first started off in Teespring about late 2015. Um, I was told about Teespring and how, you know, people are just making designs on their own and listing it and also selling it on Facebook. And at that point, I was dabbling in a little bit of design work. And so I listed a few items. Um and they didn't sell very well. I was trying different niches and uh, I saw a pug and I was like, wow, this dog is pretty popular on the, on the Internet. You know, everybody was sharing it, the post. And so I went and found a, a cool scarf that um, I was browsing around on AliExpress. And I found a cool scarf and I went and listed it. I didn't really think much of it. I'm like, oh, who wears a pug scarf? Whatever. I put it on there. And um, about 12 days after I had listed it, I had sold about 400 scarves. Wow. And after that, I was I was like, wow, people really love this dog. So after that, um, you know, having a design background, I started doing some basic pug designs and they just started taking off. And after that, I was like, you know, why not go ahead and continue with this and just focus on just selling nothing but pug merchandise? Cool. So you saw that there was a lot of uh, passion, I guess. Um, you know, funny, that's the name of your your, <laughs> your story. So there's a lot of passion for this type of dog breed all over Facebook. So you went on AliExpress and you found a scarf. And now were you selling on your own Shopify site at that time? Or were you selling into a marketplace? Like, How were you getting the actual sales? So at that time, um, right before that, um, me and a friend had started a store together, but he lost focus and we were just testing random items. And, um, you know, I just wanted to test the scarf because it was one of those things that we had listed, but we had never tested. And um, before that, we were testing things in different dog breeds and they weren't really, you know, as viral going as this pug scarf. Okay, so one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on this podcast, as she had reached out to the the Shopify community at large, was I wanted to understand the process that that a store owners go through when they are trying to test out products like exactly what you went through. So I'm assuming you this wasn't the first product that you ever picked. You did you have to go through a lot of uh, I guess failures essentially failed products along the way oh man yeah i wouldn't begin to tell you how many failures i had i had so many failures i think one of my biggest failures was uh i was trying to advertise a t-shirt to guys that you know go off road and um it was such a terrible design and um i put it on facebook and i got no response and uh, a lot of hate and I, at that point i kind of felt like oh man is this even what i want to do mm-hmm. um do i should i continue going because at that point it was just it was kind of overbearing. I had lost a lot of money just testing out different designs. Mm. Why, why do you think that those previous products that 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 ended up failing failed in this uh, this niche of pug merchandise uh, became such a, a success for you so quickly? Um, I think mostly it became attributed to um, just passion behind the product. Um, I, I didn't really put too much effort into the designs I was putting out there. I was just kind of going based off, you know, a gut feeling and, you know, gut feelings really never dictate a, a good market value. So when I just started to actually look for passion products and products that I could see people wearing every day and actually, you know, trying to put out their passion out to the world, um, it's a lot easier to sell products that way. So products basically 
that allows people to see directly what the person is interested in. Mm. So, but these off-roading shirts, I'm, I'm, don't you? Wouldn't there be a community of people that are into off-roading just as passionately as um, their their dogs? Or did you find that it wasn't as passionate? Uh, there was passion, but um, that particular uh, brand that I was going after, I was going after Toyota 4Runner uh, off-roaders because at that time I had a Toyota 4Runner. And um, I thought it was a community for them with the shirts, but the shirt design just did not resonate with them at all. And after the first uh, design failure, I just I kind of felt bummed out. And I, I was like, you know, let me just go look for a different niche. Mm, OK, so you there might have been passion in that particular niche. It's just that maybe the designs weren't good enough to catch the attention or get those sales. Uh, do you find that that is the. Um, not necessarily the case, but like, how do you differentiate between a failure because of design versus a failure because of a uh, just not enough passion in the in that particular niche? Okay, so um, even even now, I still have a lot of failures with my t-shirts and my pug t-shirts. Um, it's just a lot of testing. Um, you never know what people would like. Um, just testing a lot of different designs and trying to hit different markets. So what one thing I was doing is that. One thing I saw a lot of failures is like when you try to go after the broad market, you don't have a lot of passion behind it. Somebody saying passionate pug mom that lives in Oklahoma. You know, some people can really get behind that and really say, wow, that's really targeted towards me rather than saying, you know, just a passionate pug mom. So, so designs like that, I found that are really are really beneficial and, are in, and really target the, the audience I'm looking for. And those people are very passionate. Yeah, because you're not just uh, going after pug lovers. Like I'm looking at your site and you're going after, you have this called Pugs Doing Yoga. So you're looking at people that are into yoga, I'm assuming, or into some kind of fitness and also into pugs. So you're like layering on all of these different passions on top of each other to get really narrow. I think one of the concerns that that uh, especially a new store owner might have is that they want to be as broad as possible because in in a lot of people's minds, the broader you are, the more potential customers there are, more potential customers, the more likelihood for success or more likelihood for more sales and revenue. But you're saying that that, that approach just didn't work for you at all. Like, can you talk about, about that? Like how, why go, why go, I guess, a more narrow versus trying to hit as many co- potential customers as possible? Yeah. So what I saw with the, with the going broad is that when you, when you don't really have stability in the market or have a brand name in the market, it's very hard for people to trust you right away, uh, especially if you're a newcomer. Um, what I've seen a lot of Facebook ads, especially you know when I first started, was that, hey, has anybody ordered from this site? Has anybody purchased? Is this a reliable company to purchase from? And people are very skeptical. But you know once you really hit on that passion of what they love, some people are willing to take a leap of faith. And those are people that you really need to bring to your company to really jumpstart because they become brand ambassadors and they really speak about your brand, especially online. So does that mean that you, the goal, the game plan is to start with a very narrow niche and then as you build that credibility, build that that customer base, build those brand advocates that you're talking about, then once you have that that, that uh, kind of, uh, I guess, place in the marketplace, then expand from there? Is that is that the game plan? Yeah, that's exactly what the game plan is. And I felt, I found out that that works a lot for me because uh, once it's it, with Facebook nowadays, it's pretty simple. I want to say simple, but it's pretty it's a lot easier to target um, multiple layers and multiple passions in one in one targeting. And especially if you have the design that resonates. People are really, really get excited. Mm, OK, so this is probably a a uh, a very um, not a broad, but a. <laughs> maybe ignorant approach, but let's say you're doing this pugs doing yoga hoodie that you have for sale. You're probably looking at targeting people that are into pugs, but also that do yoga in that particular match. You're able to start generating some, some uh, customers that way. And then that's how you build your, their, your very first brand advocates. Is that like the, the idea behind the approach? Exactly. Okay, cool. Now you mentioned that you had a lot of uh, testing going on, right? You had to test the product, you had to test the marketplace. I think the the um, where a lot of people might stumble is that there are just so many variables involved, so many things you can test, so many things that that if you did, did a certain way would be a success, did a certain way would be a failure. How do you manage all of that and make sure that you're approaching it in a way that? gets you, I guess, the, the right results from the test and not just, and not screw up your, your I guess, the variables that are involved in, in, a, in a test when you're trying to test not just the product, but also the market. 
Exactly. So you have to think about what type of marketing channel you're using. Um, I mostly use Facebook right now, and Facebook has been a huge revenue driver for me. And you have to understand that people on Facebook aren't necessarily there to shop. They're, they're there to see things that, that they like and things that they enjoy. So my goal when I'm testing is to try to make the product go as viral as possible in the little amount of spend as possible. Mm, okay, so go as viral as possible. Give us some ideas on, on how, how you do that. Is it just the content that you're putting out there? Or what are you doing to, to make sure that you are getting as much uh, exposure as possible? So what I like to do is, um, especially if, uh, if I'm testing a new, a new niche or something like that, um, I test with finding a meme that's pretty funny, that's already going viral, and uh, just making uh, recreating that with my own words. And um, with, within that meme, I like to uh, send it to the target audience I'm looking for and see how many shares I can get. And based on the amount of shares, you can tell that uh, the niche is a pretty viral niche or the niche, the people within that niche are very social. And with that, um, I recreate a design based on similar to that meme. So let's mm. say um, the, I did a pug doing the yoga. I, what happened was I had found a video of a pug stretching and doing yoga and people found it hilarious. <laughs> And when I did that, I was like, wow, you know, this this actually can have some kind of traction. So me and my designer came up with an idea of pugs doing very, various yoga poses. And when I did that, I put, you know, various yoga poses on a, on a design and I sent it to the same audience that I had tested with before I had launched the, um, the product itself. And I sent it to the exact same audience and it just started going, spreading like wildfire and people just loved it. Okay, so you first uh, tested, tested if the market was passionate enough, that was viral, that was social first. You didn't have a product at all yet, or at least for this particular design. You didn't have the design at all yet. You just mm-hmm. wanted to see if the, the market was viral, was social. You established that because of the engagement on that particular uh, post. Can you give us an idea of the numbers behind that? Like how, like what, were you, what was the threshold that you're looking for to determine that this was a good market to enter? Awesome. So on Facebook, you have a, what you call a page post engagement ad or a page post engagement. And that's when you just post a picture. It's a large square picture, 1200 by 1200. And you post it and um, it's a very big picture. It shows up really clearly on the news feeds. And um, what I look for within the first 25 to 30 dollars of ad spend, if I can get at least 200 to 300 shares, because the more people that share the posts, the more free traffic and the free engagement you get. Okay, so when you have these shares, are you in this post? Are you driving the traffic anywhere, or are you just keeping all of the engagement on the post and just strictly to understand if there's a market or not? You're not, or are you trying to drive uh, those engagements, those um, people that are looking at that post to a to a landing page? So in the first twenty to thirty dollars, like I said, um, I don't sit, I don't put any links because Facebook limits the reach of links um, when you put it in the post when you first start off. So I don't put any links and just try to make it spread just like a regular picture. You know, some mm-hmm. pictures are on Facebook. They they spread very virally and they don't have any links or any call to actions at all. So then when I see that it starts to spread, I will go in the comment. And when you're the po- the page um, admin, your comment usually shows up first if you post it in the comment section. And, you know, people would post, hey, where can I get this? And then within that post itself, I would put in a link like, hey, get it here. And I will like it so that it shows up at the top of all the comments. And um, after that, I will see if it, if I can continue to get the engagement I was getting before. And after that goes on for like about two to three days, which is about I usually spend anywhere between 20 to 30 dollars a day just for that post. And after two to three days, which is about 60 bucks, I will go back into the original post and edit it and put the actual link to the store. Okay, I see. So you're first posting this uh, this engagement uh, focused at, uh, post and and um, targeting uh, uh, the particular demographic that you're going after. You spend about sixty dollars after a few days, and then you go back in and put the landing the link to to the landing page. Now at that time, did you have a, a pugs in this example? Did you have a pugs doing yoga hoodie already designed within those few days, or were you just driving them to to your main site that? had other products that were related to pugs but not specifically pugs doing yoga um, i just had it with the, with the with the products itself not necessarily pugs doing yoga i just had the i had a sample design so what i what i put in the um, in the description is like hey do you find this funny tag and share with people that would find this funny and that was just the uh, you know the call to action in the description of the post before i put the link and you know, after the uh, a few days have passed by, I went back, edited, it, and then I sent them to the just the Passionate Pug website. 
Mm, okay. One thing that I've been seeing a lot on on uh, Facebook with, uh, especially with uh, I guess new entrepreneurs that are taking, I guess, a very similar approach to you by uh, by measuring the engagement of a community and, uh, and measuring the engagement of a, I guess, a demographic that they're targeting through Facebook, uh, is that they'll get a lot of engagement, a lot of likes, a lot of shares, but then when they, I guess, launch the product, they maybe even target that same audience or maybe do what you're saying to add it as a comment, a link to that landing page, a link to the product page itself. They just don't generate the same kind of, I guess, sales that you would expect based on the engagement. Do you have you experienced this? Have you seen this happen? Like, what, what's what's your, I guess, your 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 thoughts on why that that does happen? Okay, so I have seen that actually, and sometimes my thought process is like, hmm, this got a whole bunch of engagement, got a whole bunch of comments, positive comments. Why is it not selling? So then, what I like to do is like, I like to go within the comments itself. And just message some of the people that say, I want this or I will wear this. And I'll ask them because, you know, Facebook is a social place. Um, I talk to them as a friend and I go, wait, I'm like, hey, um, you know, you commented on our post. You seem to love it. You know, is there any reason that you wouldn't want to wear this or purchase this, you know, today? And from there, I would get a response. Oh, maybe, you know, the price is too high or maybe they would like it in a different color. And I use those um, those comments and feedback and I go and tweak the store or tweak the product. And I give them a twenty-five to thirty percent discount code, and usually that converts into them to them into a customer. Oh wow! So can you give an example of this happening? Does this happen to any of the products that that, or I guess you you are telling me about a product that this happened for? Can you give us an example of some feedback that you got from private messaging uh, Facebook users, and and that actually impacted the design or impacted the the sales price? Yeah. So um, I had launched a mug. That had a uh, a fawn colored pug on it. If you're familiar with pugs, the fawn colored pug is the is the brown one. Mm-hmm. And um, when I first launched it, it it had got you know a, a huge amount of response. But then in some in some of the comments, people were saying, "Hey, is there one for black pugs?" And I was like, "Hey, I you know I don't have a black pug design at all." So I messaged them. I was like, "Would you be interested in this buying this mug if it had a black pug on it?" And she was like, "Absolutely. You know, I have a black pug, and it's very hard to find black pug products." So that, that, you know, turned on a light bulb in my head and I was like, wow, there's a huge market within a market of, you know, passionate pug fans that would love products based on around the black pug. So I went to my designer and we quickly came up with a, a mock up for a black pug and that's been one of our top sellers so far. Oh, wow. Okay, awesome. So uh, when you are uh, sending, I guess once you have measured this engagement, measured that it's, it's, it's a passionate audience, are you creating a brand new ad after that as well? That is, once you have the product design, are you creating a brand new ad after that and then targeting that same demographic again? Or are you only editing the, the, the initial engagement uh, post? So what I like to do is like after I find a good engagement, especially with photos, um, I like to create a video, either a video slideshow or if I can get the product itself, um, just create a short five second to 30 second video of just showcasing the product. Um, nothing too fancy. People really don't like fancy. Uh, I've noticed that when you get all fancy with um, with the products, they, they like to have that, uh, you know, like that kind of friend feeling mm-hmm. of, of when you show off a product. So um, I like to hit people from all different angles. So after I see the, fo- the photo going viral, I'll just make a quick slideshow showing different angles of the mug targeting the exact same audience and with the link in the description this time, because I know that this has potential to actually build a lot of sales. Okay. So this, uh, second, this, I guess the secondary ad that you create, are you doing some kind of retargeting based on people that engage with the, the initial uh, post or are you just layering on the same exact targeting that, that you use? Do you care that they, that to go after people that engage with it originally? Oh, I love retargeting. Retargeting is one of our um, our strongest sales drivers. So what I like to do is retarget people that have visited the page itself, um, our our brand page, and also like to retarget people that have visited certain collections. So let's say I'm coming out with a new collection of mugs designs. Um, what I like to do is retarget those people that have landed on the a mug collection page or a mug page itself. And not necessarily people that have purchased, just people that have visited and viewed the content. And I'll just put them into an audience themselves and I will throw in, you know, a discount like, hey, you know, you checked out our mugs before. I'm sure you found something that you you love. Here's another mug design that I think you also love. And just throw a, a, a call to action with a discount link in there. Mm, okay. Uh, do you do any, I guess that, that, that makes sense for people that visited your, your, your page. That makes total sense to remarket to them. Uh, are you remarketing to people that engage with that initial post as well? Is there, is there a way to do that? 
Um, yeah. So what I like to do is um, I like to go in there, my go in there myself, and actually message some of the people that because some some people just say they would just tag a friend, or they would just say I need this now or I love this, and I'll just send them a, a private message and say, hey, you know, we would love to have you as a um, as a brand ambassador or as a, as a customer, and here and here's how you can get started, and I'll just send them a link to our store with the with the product. Cool. Okay. Now you, when you, so when you are actually running ads to a, a product that you've already validated that there's a lot of uh, passion in the industry, you, you already determined that it's going to be a very popular product because it's already been successful through, through, through virality. Are you, I'm just trying to get a better understanding of how do you set up your, your targeting inside the ads itself when it's, when no one really has visited your, your store yet, maybe when you first started out, no one's visited your store much yet at all because you didn't have a product yet. Now you have the product in your hands and you're ready to start advertising to people. Can't really remarket yet because no one's visited the product page yet. Are you just going with the same um, targeting settings that you had set up previously with the initial engagement focused ad? No, so that's a that's a great question. So I like to do that as well, but I also like to think outside the box. Um, when I'm first targeting and I really don't have any clue, um, I like to plug in the niche onto Google and type in the word association or forums or magazines behind that keyword. So for example, I'll plug in you know pug magazines or pug forms or pug websites. And um, Google will just return me a list of things that, um, or a list, a list of destinations where I think the audience will hang out. And I'll see if I can plug that in into Audience Insights, which is a Facebook tool. It's a free tool on, on Facebook that lets you see if um, those pages are targetable. Mm, okay, so if they're targetable, then you you target those people, those uh, people that have expressed interest in those associations, forums, magazines, websites. And uh, that, that, that works pretty well for you, I'm assuming? Exactly. And um, also very popular within the dog niche, this is like a golden tip, is um, rescue networks. The rescue interests work very well because people that are interested in dog rescues are very, very passionate. So now I think when someone starts off with a Facebook advertising for the first time, and let's say that they are also selling pug merchandise, they might just go in and say, why, why target these associations where they're kind of, obviously, you know, there is related to, to that, to that particular passion that they have with dogs or with pugs, but why not just target pug lovers, for example, just go direct to the source. Like what's the issue with doing that? Um, because you, you don't really know how some of these pages are built. Um, you might not know if the marketer that had built the, let's say, a pug lover's page, it might have just a bunch of pictures of cute pugs and the audience might be, you know, uh, younger women or just younger kids that really don't have the money or mm. the desire to purchase the product. But once you target some of these associations and these magazines, these are buyers of the product. These are buyers of the niche. I see, because it's easy to like a page that says pug lovers, but you have to be much more deeper, much more passionate about that particular niche to actually like or be interested in an association or a magazine around it. Exactly. Okay, it expresses a lot more in- intent and interest too. That makes sense. Now, when you're testing all these, uh, I think I think it sounds like the name of the game for you is to be able to iterate through a lot of testing, testing different products, and you know you landed on on a winner here with the passionate pug. Talk to us about your setup. Like, how do you get the? How, if someone doesn't have an idea yet for a product or or a niche to go after, how can they set up? Well, I guess what's your system? How do you set it up in a way that allows you to t- go through these cycles of testing as quickly as possible? Gotcha. So um, I usually have my designer go on Pinterest and um, just take a look at some of the stuff that's trending around the niche. Uh, Pinterest is very, very great for uh, niche research. You just plug in the niche name in the search bar and either plug in you know, the niche name plus clothing or apparel or gifts. And um, a bunch of different ideas show up in the, in the Pinterest feed and you can get a, a lot of different um, ideas on what to test and see what's hot because Pinterest has that repin tool. And just based on the amount of repins, you can kind of tell, you know, if this is something that people that are within that niche are really interested in. And then from there, um, I get my designer to recreate something that he believes would um, would be similar to what that image is or what that is. And after he designs that, um, he puts it in a folder. We use Dropbox a lot. and. Um, what he does is those, I give him like a week's worth of images that I go through and find. And I'm like, hey, um, could you redesign some of these images with, you know, with our own flair, with our own brand name and our brand voice? And um, from there, I literally just go in, grab the image after he's done uploading it to our store with the, with the mock-ups. And I go on Facebook and 
I literally use the same targeting that I've been using from the beginning to just test over and over again because I know that that audience is it really resonates with our brand and it's not as cold as we were before when we first got into the market. So people are more familiar with the brand. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Now, what about? So that sounds like it, it, it's it's working well for your this this passion pug essentially because you already have this uh, built-in brand familiarity from people that are seeing it over and over again. You already have the targeting pretty narrowed down. You already have an idea of what's popular in this space. What about the process that you were going through prior to landing on the passion pug when you were trying to go after different niches, trying to to match it with different products? How did what was your system like then to 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 go through the testing to make sure that you had a market that was viable. Gotcha. I even even today to this day, um, I'm, I'm exploring some new niches to, you know, to go ahead and build my I guess ecom empire with mm. uh, with small niches. And uh, we do the same thing. So what we go in, we go through. We use various sources like AliExpress, eBay, Amazon, and we just kind of see you know what type of reviews certain products are getting within niches we're like we're interested in getting into. So some of the newest niches I'm exploring is the hunting and fishing niche. And um, so what I do, I'll just go on Amazon or eBay and just type in hunting or in, in hunting or fishing uh, and see what type of products are getting a lot of reviews. Um, what I'd like to see is that if a product is getting a lot of reviews, that means that there's a market for it and people are interested in or want the product. And so I would just go ahead and click into the reviews and see what some of the pain points people are coming up with and um, and see if and seeing if um, some of the words that they are using within the niche, like the niche language, can be targeted on Facebook. And I like to go after new new niches like that. Okay, cool. Now, do you set up a brand new Shopify site each time you go after a niche? You set up a brand new f- Facebook page? Like, What's the, the actual I guess, logistics of getting a, uh, a, a product or a site or a brand up? Gotcha. So what I do is like I just create new Facebook pages because setting up a new Shopify site is kind of intensive, especially mm-hmm. if you want people to trust you right off the bat when they land on your page. And creating a Facebook page takes uh, you know just a few minutes. Uh, I create a new Facebook page and I literally find the product that I'm interested in promoting or selling, and I'll just post it up to the page. And it will be an empty fan page, and um, I'll just post a picture of the of the product with a small call to action saying, "Hey, would you be interested in buying this product?" share and tag a friend and i'll just go ahead and run a ppe engagement ad with that and see what type of comments or what type of feedback i get mm, so it's okay in your in your experience that the facebook page is brand new doesn't have any followers or right off the bat doesn't have that much content on it do people care about that so what i've noticed about facebook especially nowadays is that most people don't leave their newsfeed they just kind of keep scrolling through their newsfeed until something mm-hmm. catches their eye and then they stop and um, most people I've talked to, and even close friends, they rarely click on the page unless they're super interested in seeing what the page has to offer. And even then, you know, they're really not skeptical skeptical because new pages come up all the time. And what I like to do sometimes is, if I really want to dive into that niche, is I'll post a few memes and other content articles within that page just to give it some population and give it um, give it a little bit more trustworthiness. I think that's a great observation that people don't really leave their newsfeed, and I, I, this is just anecdotally, but anecdotal. But I, I'm the same way. I scroll through, I see interesting products, but I never click through to, to see uh, what's going on on that page. You know, because for the longest time, a lot of people were saying that you need to build up a social media presence because you need to build trust through there. I find for myself that I barely ever go to social media anymore to, you know, quote unquote. Uh, Make sure that there this 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 particular store this particular brand is legitimate just by looking at their follower numbers. Um, mm-hmm. So th- that makes a lot of sense that, that you don't need to to focus on that because if someone does click on your page, they are probably very interested in the product. They're not the likely they're probably not clicking to it to to validate because they're skeptical. They're probably not clicking through to see if this is a, a legitimate company. Now, they're probably clicking through because they want to hear more. They want to learn more. They want to see more of that particular content. Those people are already probably going to buy regardless regardless of what they see on your page anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Cool. So what's the, what's been the turnaround time for, for this process for you when you go through, I kind of, kind of go through, going through all this again, you go on these different marketplaces, AliExpress on eBay, and you look at reviews, see what's being talked, being reviewed a lot to see what's popular on those, on those markets. Now, I think, um, 
I guess the, the 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 skeptic would say, you know, if it's already selling well on these sites, on these marketplaces, why would they buy from you? Why would they buy from someone that bought from this essentially same supplier and mm-hmm. sell it through their their own Shopify site? Like, why, why? Why? I guess what what would you say to someone that says something like that? So what what I what I kind of deal with that because I, I do get that a lot from um, people that I help out on the side and people that are starting off. Is that you know one thing that we do have an advantage of above all these marketplaces is that we're first to market. You know um, some of these products people aren't necessarily going to eBay to search for you know a niche product unless it's a it's a gift or you know they're really intent on finding this product. So usually you know we're usually the first ones to even get to the market by showing this in the newsfeed and some of these people have never even seen some of these products before, and that's usually our first um, you know our first golden nugget right there is that. You know, showing those products first before they can actually search on Amazon or eBay or AliExpress, it gives gives us a head start to the market. Mm, okay, makes sense. Um, now, when you are when you've, I think one of the cool things I've seen about about your site is that you mentioned this earlier about reaching out to to people that have liked or that have have tagged their friends and then to ask them they want to be brand ambassadors. Tell us a little bit about this. Like what is your brand ambassador program like in well we'll start there. What what is your brand ambassador brand ambassador program like? Okay, so we're still building that out and you know we're just vetting different things right now. But um what really works that we've seen so far is using Instagram pages. Um Instagram pages have a lot of especially now they have a lot more reach than um, Facebook pages. And um, people on Instagram, you know, love, love, love to share pictures of their dog, love to share pictures of different products they purchase, especially with hashtags. Um, so what we do is um, we reached out to Instagram pages that have at least, you know, 50 to 100,000 followers. And uh, we're, we used to give them um, a link to our product and say, hey, you know, this is a new product that we're selling. It's selling about 15 to 20 units a day. And it'll be an awesome fit for your audience. Would you be interested in in promoting this product to your audience for a small commission fee? And some people are, will happily love to do that because um, some people that are running these pages aren't necessarily monetizing them. So for any opportunity for them to monetize, they would gladly jump on. I see. Okay, so you're reaching out to you're looking for people that have Instagram profiles of fifty, say fifty thousand to hundred thousand followers. Mm-hmm. So when you reach out to them, what's the, you know, because I've seen a lot of influencer marketing strategies where people will reach out and say, hey, can I send you a free product? But don't really stipulate that they, that I guess, a, a promotion behind it. Do you, what do you, th- what are your thoughts on that, on that approach? Kind of almost like a very soft sell into an influencer, a brand ambassador program versus yours, where it's like, you know, right off the bat that there's some kind of commission, something in it for them monetarily. Have you tried both, uh, I guess, approaches? Yeah, I have. And, and the thing about Instagram is that sometimes these pages are being run by, you know, little kids that really don't really care about, you know, monetizing it. They just want to share their passion for whatever it is. And um, it gets kind of tricky with that because, you know, um, I don't really like to do business with kids under, you know, a certain age <laughs> sure. because I, I don't think that's legal in even certain areas to, you know, to uh, to promote like that. So, you know, I like to vet them out and ask them if they have done promotions before. And some of these larger pages, a lot of people are actually reaching out to them to do promotions. So they're familiar with the promotion structure and the schedule. And um, it just kind of works out sometimes for us. Very cool. Okay, so what's usually, the I guess, the deal behind that? Do you do you have some kind of uh, stipulation that they post, uh, include a link in their bio or post uh, X number of posts about your products? Like, What's usually the, 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 the I guess, structure of the deal? Gotcha. I actually have a funny story about that. So um, a while ago, I had reached out to an influencer who had a good amount of followers. And um, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to send you a free mug to promote to your followers. And she was like, awesome. So I sent her all the information, including the Bitly link. But what she had done was that she had actually clicked the Bitly link and grabbed the full URL and posted it to her um, her bio. And it, I took a look at it. And I was like, wow, this is a mess. Nobody would click this. And that influencer actually did not pan out for me at all. But what I like to try to get them to do is, you know, post um, one or two pictures on their on their timeline and also change their bio for up to 48 hours. And some people actually agree to those stipulations. Mm. And do you find that the the, I guess the cost of are you you giving them some kind of um, flat rate plus a commission usually or what's the the financials behind? Uh, You don't have to go into too much details if you don't want to. But what's usually how much do you expect to spend if you're looking to target a influencer that has 50,000 to 100,000 followers? 
Okay, so I mean, it depends on their engagement. Uh, if I see that the post has a lot of, or the page has a lot of engagement, I like to just stick with um, with just a commission base, like fifteen to twenty percent of of sales, because at that point, I'm more interested in capturing the customer and um, and talking to them after the sale via email marketing. So with that, I would just give them, um, you know, fifteen to twenty percent on the front end, and just let them generate sales how they feel comfortable with. Usually, they come back after the first promotion period. They, they tell me like, "Hey, I'd like to continue to work with you. Could I just, you know, keep the link up?" And I'm like, "You know, that's fine with me. You know, the the link is cookie for thirty days, and they can uh, generate sales even long after they have posted a picture. But if they have low engagement, I like to start with them with like between twenty to fifty bucks." And um, some people are usually really receptive to that. Oh, wow. So it's a very economical approach to reaching a lot of people. You don't have to spend too much money at all. I think exactly. a lot of times you blow through that kind of budget in a day on Facebook and get maybe just a couple of sales. So I think uh, your, your approach makes a lot of sense. And I like how you're also saying that you're not trying to make a killing. You're not trying to make a crazy profit on on these influencers right off the bat. You're trying to just get them into your database. Essentially. You're trying to get them into your, your funnel, and then you will continue to follow up with them through email marketing because you have so many. So you're not just selling one product. You're selling multiple uh, you know, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, bags. You're selling a lot of different things. So tell us a little bit more about what happens in your funnel. You mentioned email marketing. Is there anything else that happens once someone is becomes a customer for the first time? Yeah. So um, after they become a customer for the first time, we actually tried a, um, a, a promotion where if you were to share our page or share a product or share a review, um, you actually start to earn points. And they were, and they were called passionate pug points. And um, people love that. They I use a app called Sweet Tooth, and um, they uh, basically track all the points for me after you create an account. And you know, based on the various activities you do on the site, such as liking a post or sharing a link or you know purchasing a certain amount of products, you actually accumulate points that you can spend on other products. And what I found about you know really niche stores is that your amount of customers that you have available to purchase from you is very limited. So you have to give them a wide selection for them to come back. Mm, okay. So what are you um, sending to them in email? Are you just promoting new products or are you writing other kind of content for them? Okay. So uh, our first email is a welcome email and that's right after an order has been placed. Uh, you can get an email saying, Oh, Hey, you know, thanks for joining our, um, our community. We have a private Facebook group and a private Facebook page that you can come and interact with other pug owners and share pictures and talk about um, other pug things that you might be so inclined to talk about in our private Facebook group. And I give them a link to that. Also give them a link to our, our main Facebook page as well as our Instagram page. And also give them a small blurb about how long the shipping times are going to be for certain products and when they could expect the product. And then after that email has been sent out, I have um, a review email that goes out about 14 days after they have ordered, asking them to leave a review about, you know, their experience from ordering with us. And that has really helped us tremendously with um, with uh, with sales in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, the private Facebook group, I, I like this because you're now not just uh, communicating one-on-one with these customers, you are creating community and you're letting them communicate with each other and that just builds value on top of it without you having to to be the sole provider of the value you're letting the community provide as well how what's that been like how's how's the process uh what's the, what's it like to run a, a private facebook group? it's pretty awesome um this group actually i don't really moderate that much the only time i moderate is when i see people posting um links to their own products and uh, you know i like to i like to have people respect the, the, the group and not post too many product links uh, because people actually get turned off because they don't really want to get sold um, mm-hmm. there in a private Facebook group. They just want to share information about, you know, their pug and, um, and you know, maybe if the, their pug is having, you know, uh, they had an injury or they had a surgery and they want to share a picture or share their experience with other pug owners about how it's going for them. And um, it's kind of self-moderated. I don't really do too much work in the private Facebook group. Um, everybody kind of respects each other and it's always new content like every hour. Um, it was pretty crazy when I first started it. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just kind of put it together and um, I ran like two, like two to five dollars worth of traffic to it just to get some, some traction. Now, I also posted it in my um, in our main Facebook page and um, we had gotten about 100 members within the first week. But now, you know, I guess based on people just sharing it with their friends and virality, it's almost at 3000 members. And, wow. that's, and that happened within a span of about two to three months. 
Right, very cool. So you don't even have to provide much content. Like these are just the community has pretty much taken on a, a life of its own. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier about uh, the in the initial introduction email to your customers, you will talk about expected shipping time. So is that because you are, is it mostly all print on demand in uh, products or do you hold in any inventory uh, yourself? So um, most of the items, especially the merchandise, like the mugs, the the clocks and the bags, those are all print on demand and people are, are expecting, you know, three to five days shipping, especially because Amazon has spoiled everybody. Um, so I like to, you know, give them a forecast like, hey, you know, this T-shirt is made when you place an order. And that allows us to give you the pricing that that's, you know, economical to us and very economical to you. And I also do hold some inventory for specialty products. Like I still browse AliExpress and eBay and I found some really cool products that um, I add to my store. And um, I kind of test demand by drop shipping them for like the first week to see if I can sell like five to ten units. And after that, I just buy in bulk. And also Etsy is a great, great marketplace to connect with um, with artists and people who are very crafty. And you can find some really unique items on Etsy. I see. So you are going going on Etsy to find uh, people that are creating these awesome products and you're sourcing from these Etsy sellers directly? Exactly. And also, and then I'll just talk to them. I'll just send a message like, hey, you know, this scarf is really cute and it's really awesome for my, for my audience. Um, people are already talking about it and I have about five to ten already pre-sold. Um, what could you do in terms of price that could be very economical for both of us? And um, I would like to purchase, you know, X amount of units. Mm. So I see like a distinct look to a lot of these products, the, the kind of pugs that are on there. So when you're sourcing from other manufacturers, so like on, on Etsy, for example, sourcing from other producers or sourcing from AliExpress, does it, do you find that it's the, the, the I guess the logo or the, the imagery or the, I guess the brand um, is different than than what you've created with uh, the passion puck. Does that does that have an impact on on your sales or the customer's experience? Um, I haven't had any, you know, really retaliation in terms of that. Um, nobody has really complained about the brand imagery on the site. They're just so in love with the product and the fact that they're able to find you know super unique items um, that resonate with their niche and resonate with what they love. Uh, they actually kind of look past that. Um, I had a really good seller this past holiday season with the plug lamps, and um, those were they sold so much during the holiday season. And if you look at that imagery, it looks completely different from whatever, whatever everything else on our site because of uh, the print-on-demand items have a white background, and this one had like kind of a brick background, and it just looked completely different. But people still still loved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even even look out for what might be a, uh, a product that's sourced um, outside from what you've designed until you mentioned it. So, I mean, it didn't jump out to me at all. So, I'm assuming these people that don't, uh, most people are just passionate about the niche and they don't care about, oh, is this brand, is this product on brand or not? So, mm-hmm. then that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, you, you mentioned earlier, too, about how these uh, rev- you're generating, you're sending email to, to get people to write these reviews. Do you, do, you have to, do you have to incentivize them anyway to get them to get, write a review? Because whenever I get an email, for example, maybe, maybe I'm an edge case, but whenever I get an email for someone asking for a review, I just I don't necessarily don't want to do it, but I'll put it aside. I'll do this later or something, but I never get around to it. Do you find that there's a way to incentivize people to take the time out to give you an honest review? So um, what, what the review in the email, it actually has a 40 percent discount on everything in the store. If you were to leave a review, it's funny um, now that you mention it. Um, people leave the review without actually using the discount. Very few people have actually used a 40 percent discount even after then they leave a review. So I guess, I guess it's kind of, after they leave a review, they kind of forget about it. Um, but other than that, um, I haven't really had that much trouble getting reviews because people just love their product and love sharing. It's one of those social niches that people will just go and post on their Facebook page. And after that, it will just kind of do what it does on itself. Mm, yeah, I think that's one of the benefits of targeting a niche that's so passionate that a lot of the customers do the marketing for you because they're just so excited to share it. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, I think at the very beginning, uh, Teespring was the 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 I guess um, manufacturer for you to start. Are you still with Teespring? Like, did you try all the other I guess print on demand services? Like, what are your thoughts on on all of them? 
Oh, that's awesome now because um, most of the print-on-demand services integrate with Shopify now. So you can control the customer sequence and the customer database. As before, you know, you didn't really have access to the customers. There were Teespring or Viral Stars customers. And right now, I, I'm integrated with like three print-on-demand companies because they offer different print-on-demand items that are just so cool to offer to your, your niche. Like Viral Style has um, wall clocks. Um, they also have flip-flops that you can print on. And um, T-Launch also has a yoga mat that that was really awesome because I got to put the the pugs doing yoga design on a yoga mat. And that was really cool and people loved it. That's cool. Do you find it difficult to manage all of these sources or is it pretty easy to integrate? Um, with Shopify, it's pretty, the, the integration is, is, is very streamlined. Um, the only issue, like I said, is that some of these manufacturers, everybody has different shipping times. So within that welcome email, I kind of mentioned that you might be receiving your items at different times because we are sourcing from different suppliers and they have different shipping times. So I'm really very transparent with the customers up front. Mm, and the, you, you don't get any kind of backlash where people are like, I want a refund because I didn't expect it to take this long. Did you have any issues with that? Um, I did run into issues with that during the holiday as I had forecasted that um, a certain product wasn't going to make as many sales as it did. And I didn't order enough. So when it got to around Christmas time, I had a, you know, a handful of angry customers that were pretty upset that they weren't going to give their item in time for Christmas. But um, I kind of just gave them um, an incentivized, um, an incentive of like 40% off future products. And I also gave the option for them to get a refund and still get their item just to keep the customer happy for the future. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and when you launched the, the the Passionate Pug, did you have all of these products or did you have a majority of these products already listed? Like, What did you start with? How many products did you start with? Um, I actually started off with like five products. Um, I started off with the scarf that sold like 400 within the first month. And I, then I started off with like three or four designs on the T-shirt. And those designs actually kind of flopped. So the, the, the scarves actually kept me afloat when I, um, when I first started. And then from there, we just me and my designer went on a frenzy. Like I literally gave them five to ten designs to do a day. And we just tried to launch as many different designs as possible. And the store just kept growing. So did you, uh, I guess, groom that, that that list because, you know, five different, I guess, designs every day. There's a lot of products on here, but, you know, definitely doesn't add up. Did you remove certain products after you determined that they weren't successful? Yeah. So there's a lot of products I actually have hidden that are not showing on the dashboard because they're just, they just were just flops. They were just, they're just taking up space and they just did not look good with the overall brand. And I, I, w- I understood that based on the amount of sales that they d- did not deliver. So after a product is on the store for about a month or two and it doesn't generate, you know, organic sales after I have um, after I have launched it and, and, and advertise it, I just remove it. And that's that's smart. So when you work with this designer, are you working on like a per design basis? If someone wants to take the same approach as you and create, you know, five to ten different designs every day for a couple of weeks just to, to try out everything out, it can get expensive if you're, you know, paying them per design. What's your you don't tell me about your particular arrangement, but what what's what's a typical setup for someone that wants to work with a designer? Gotcha. So initially um, I was I had found a few designers on Facebook, you know, through the Facebook groups. I had just reached out and asked, you know, if anybody can do some designs. But then what I did after that was that um, I actually hired a designer full time and I paid him a salary and he was based out of um, the Philippines. So I gave him a weekly salary of about um, I think it was about two hundred fifty dollars. So that came out to a pretty economical price for design. Very cool. Now, you when we first started talking, you told me that you essentially launched this store a year from 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 around this time, January two thousand sixteen. So a year later, give us an idea of how successful the business is. How much has it grown to? Oh, that's awesome. So um, this past year, we generated just a, right under six figures of revenue. Um, there was a lot of struggle with that, with refunds, and just trying to figure out the processes that worked. And some days, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell anything, but my designer was still working. So I still had to pay them. And um, it's been it's been going great so far this year. Like I've I've actually kind of understood more about e-commerce is not just, you know, slapping products up and and hoping it sells. It's actually building a loyal customer base and using you know a lot of your past customers as as um, feedback and sending them surveys, asking them, you know, what they like to see for the future. 
Yeah, it sounds like a, a huge learning year for you, but um, also made money along the way. So it definitely doesn't it doesn't hurt. So when you um, think about what you want to do for for this year, two thousand seventeen, like what do you want to focus on? Because I know you mentioned launching other other niches. Like, do you want to continue expanding catalog with a passionate pug, or where, where do you want to put your focus in this year? So what I, my kind of vision for the passionate pug at this point is to keep using Facebook, but also add in um, two to three new traffic sources. So we're starting to heavily focus on Google and also heavily focus on Pinterest. Um, Instagram is something that I'm more to focus on, but because the way the influencers work, um, it's actually kind of very manual. So we're just looking for more um, hands-off approaches to advertising. So we're going to use uh, Google and Pinterest and also reach out to some blogs. You know, Blogs are a, a very underrated traffic source that people don't really look at. Um, they actually have a very passionate audience and People that uh, subscribe to blog posts and look at blogs all the time will, you know, will love to see what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking of uh, face, uh, speaking of Instagram, do you do any of your your paid advertising that you that you set up in Facebook to target Instagram, or is it all through the influencers? So what I've noticed is that um, on Instagram, when I directly try to sell on Instagram, uh, my demographic actually. The buying demographic, the majority buying demographic for my uh, for my store actually does not hang out on Instagram. So our Instagram paid efforts using the Facebook platform has not panned out to where we like to see. Um, it's usually a lot of younger audiences. So on Instagram, our marketing strategy for that is to have a lot of um, low pricing products to get people in the door. Um, you know, it's, uh, like if you try to sell a product that's like sixty dollars on Instagram, for us personally, we've seen that it did not pan out, but if we were to sell like a mug for like 15 bucks, we would see that um, it pans out a lot more. Do you find that this is the case with all the other industries and niches that you've gone after? Or is it this, is this specific to to the, the Passionate Pug? Um, mostly specific to the Passionate Pug. Um, I've noticed that our, I not, not even noticed, just based on data, our, our audience is usually women over the age of 45 is our biggest buying audience, which would be funny because when I first started out, I'm like, I thought it would be younger people, you know, people, mm-hmm. you know, under the uh, under the age of 30 that, you know, found pugs funny or found, you know, pug apparel and merchandise funny that would be wearing it. But, yeah, or people that wear T-shirts and hoodies are usually, you'd imagine, are younger too. Exactly. So when it started turning out to be a lot older audience, it, I was very baffled. <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool that you're able to determine that through the data, though, because so, many, so much of the time we have these preconceptions in our mind about what our customers like, but there's no better, uh, I guess, correction than to look at the, the, the actual sales from, from uh, your demographics. Uh, yeah, so so thanks so much for your time, Kwaku. So thepassionatepug.com is the, the website, the store that we just talked about. Anyone else you recommend listeners check out or follow along with you if they want to learn more about what you're up to, learn more about your approach to to launching these kind of businesses? Um, you can follow me on Facebook um, at Kwaku Norton. This is my Facebook profile name. And I'm also very active in a lot of the Shopify groups on Facebook um, and various groups. So you can reach out to me via private message on Facebook or just um, reach out to me through the groups. Cool. And just so that people know how to find you, your name is spelled K-W-A-K-U. Last name's N-O-R-N-O-O. And again, the com is the website. Again, thank you so much for your time, Kwaku. Awesome, Felix. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. You're competing for attention of people in general. So it's not that, I mean, it's a noisy world and it's no longer just like, hey, I'm competing with my direct competitor. You're just competing to capture the attention of someone long enough to tell them what you're doing. So if it's not exciting enough, and I mean, people have a million things to do and now they're tied to their phones and they're connecting with their friends. So it's got to be something that grabs them. So I always suggest in terms of length of video to keep it short and sweet, high energy and extremely great visuals. Something that can pull them in, you know, very quickly right from the start. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.